1: What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man MG Marcus Grant. Still masking and socially distancing, and partially vaccinated. Although, I guess uh, right before I started the show, the CDC released, released new guidelines, so maybe we don't have to be as masked as often. He's out to find a new intro coming up soon. We'll figure that one out later. That is a a conversation for another time. In the meantime, welcome to another edition of the show. Uh, We will continue. We will wrap up our draft preview. Matt Okada is with us, as he has been for the last few weeks. Producer Steve uh, with us as well. So we got plenty to talk about, Matt. Um, This is great. We are finally, we are, uh, as we sit here and record this, we are a little more than 48 hours away from the start of the draft. It is exciting (laughs) I think for me at least it's also a little bit of a relief because I think I mentioned this last week. I am I'm over draft takes.
2: <laughs> like I think I'm <laughs>
1: over them. So I'm looking forward to getting this going. But uh, 48 hours out, how are you feeling?
2: Oh boy. There, there, there's a little bit of the over the draft takes thing here as well, I would say. There's also a little bit of the well, this is our last chance to hold on to the draft takes that we like that some teams <laughs> are gonna dash. Because we have some hopes for some players that, that we feel good about and then they're either going to fall or some team that we don't want to take them is going to take them and it's going to ruin everything. And we're going to wish we could come back to this time and live in this dreamland that we're in right now. But, but there's, there'll be some exciting ones, too. So hopefully those will balance out.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, at this moment, like everybody is right. Right? Like what no, no one has really? been proven wrong. Like everything you say, uh, you can hold on to and, and pretend that you know what you're talking about. And then by the time we get to like, you know, Saturday afternoon and we've seen all the draft picks, then we'll be like, okay, but well, we were totally wrong on this or that, or maybe this turned out to be okay. So uh we will see. But we have been going along position by position. Last week was part one of the wide receivers because it is so deep. So today we're gonna do part two. Uh, these are guys that Maybe in redraft leagues won't have an immediate impact, but certainly for folks in dynasty leagues, uh, this is going to be one to pay attention to. And look, I'm I'm not saying that all these guys won't contribute because you never know. You always see a guy who kind of gets drafted maybe second or third day who just ends up in the right situation and ends up being productive. So uh, these are names that you will definitely want to pay attention to. Uh, as we go along, and we'll, we'll kind of figure that out. But wanted to start because I've noticed in the last day or two a lot more talk about the quarterbacks. Uh, the expectation, Matt, is that we're going to have uh, at least the first three picks, maybe even the first four picks, potentially, be quarterbacks, depending on how things shake out. I mean, there could be as many as maybe six quarterbacks that go off the board in the first round. But what has been interesting to me, and maybe you can help me make sense of this, is Trevor Lawrence is pretty much locked in at one. It seems like Zach Wilson is pretty much solid at two. Three is where it gets interesting. You know, people are maybe mocking the the, the Mac buzz to San Francisco or the Mac Jones buzz to San Francisco has gotten louder. What I'm trying to figure out, Matt, is what happened to Justin Fields? Like what, what has gone on with Justin Fields that, you know, now we're talking about him maybe falling, possibly falling out of the top 10 I don't understand it. Like the, the it seems like the variance on him is so wide. I don't get why it is. We're talking about Justin Fields maybe maybe dropping. I don't I don't understand.
2: Honestly, I cannot tell you. I can, I do not understand either because for okay, so there's there's been a, a few quarterbacks in recent years who've brought that extra dynamic like rushing ability who don't maybe profile as the super standard pocket passer that people like that have fallen a little bit. You know, you think, of course, of Lamar Jackson, who won MVP just a couple years after he fell all the way to the end of the first round. But Lamar Jackson does not have the arm that Justin Fields has. Lamar Jackson threw a lot of touchdowns one year, yes, but he is not that as accurate as Justin Fields by a long shot. Justin Fields has all of that dynamic ability, but he's also got an incredible arm and We've seen tons of leadership ability, tons of big game ability. So any questions there don't really make sense to me. It doesn't. The only the only explanation I can have well, there's really there's there's two. One is a bunch of NFL teams at the top of the draft are very dumb, (laughs) which is possible. This is possible. Uh, (laughs) or, Or the people reporting on those teams are dumb. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's that either the teams are dumb or the other the other option is everyone's smoke screening. Everybody's trying. Maybe it's all Bill Belichick because we all know he'd like to get his hands on Justin Fields, or at least I believe that. But maybe it's everybody smoke screening. We saw what Kyle Shanahan said this last week. Well, we like five quarterbacks of the three now. After he had been saying, or we've been hearing that they were set on Mac Jones, and then they mm-hmm. were set on either Mac Jones or Trey Lance, and it wasn't Fields. Well, now they like all five, which, by the way, begs the question why do they trade up to three if they like them <laughs> all? Was my first impression when they did it. But those are the only explanations i have either nfl teams just are not getting it because to me everything about this prospect says he's going to be a star or it's all smokescreen and maybe even the jets are smoke screening and they actually want justin Fields. maybe it's starting there that that to me feels like more reasonable than justin fields falling outside the top 10.
1: the the Jets smoke screening, you know, with everybody letting everybody believe it's Zach Wilson. That might be the biggest plot twist of the, the early yep. part of the first round. Uh, if that ends up what's happening. I know that, you know, in my own personal uh, text chains with friends who are 49ers fans, they are praying that this is a smokescreen and that it is yeah. it is going to be Justin Fields. Um, I think some of my friends will even uh, accept Trey Lance. I don't have anyone in my, my friend group that is excited about Mac Jones uh, coming to San Francisco, which sort of leads to another interesting part of this you know, is, you know, whatever the Niners do, whether it's Jones or Fields or Lance or whomever it may be, uh, that sort of leaves Jimmy Garoppolo kind of hanging out in the wind. And the other interesting quote I thought for Kyle Shanahan, it was sort of dark, uh, but people asking about Jimmy Garoppolo's future on the roster, will he still be the 49ers quarterback or at least on the 49ers roster once we get to Sunday? And the response was, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, is that, you know, I can't guarantee that any of us will be alive on Sunday, which was like, wow, Kyle, that's that's really <laughs> dark, man. <laughs> like, um, but it so this is, I think, another part of sort of this roulette wheel here, right, is that wherever or wherever the Niners go, whatever they decide to do, that is going to have an impact on Jimmy Garoppolo. I would say, you know, from where you sit, do you do you expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be a 49er by the time the weekend is over?
2: I'm going to say no, I'm going to say no, it's possible but I'm going to say that now is probably going to be the best chance to get him traded. And that's what I expect will happen if they go Jones or Fields. If they go Trey Lance, which is kind of the a lesser hyped option, I could see them keeping Jimmy G for one year mm-hmm. just to give Trey Lance a, a year to learn because he's probably the least developed of those top end quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But if it's Jones or Fields, which it seems like all the hype is Jones and all the logic is Fields, so it feels like it should be one of those, then I think they probably trade Jimmy G and they do it now because now is a time when people are throwing picks to get what they need. Teams that want a quarterback now to win now, they don't really want to get in the draft, but they can trade for one who's been to a Super Bowl. It makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I have a sense that the Niners are going to make a deal. Uh, and trade Jimmy Garoppolo away. You know, I, I, I've heard Denver possibly is being interested, you know, them not being sure uh, what they have in Drew Locke so he could end up in Denver. I, I know that the the popular rumors for Jimmy to go back to New England and reunite with Bill Belichick. I know you are a Patriots fan. I see you shaking your head. Uh, so uh, I would kind of be surprised about that too. I think if anything, the the Patriots seem more likely to trade up and go after somebody like Fields or something like that, than to trade and bring Garoppolo back. I don't, I don't quite think that is uh, as realistic. But we'll see. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. We, we certainly know there's going to be a lot of intrigue uh, over those three days of the draft. So we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on that. And of course, next week uh, we'll come back and we'll sort of kind of talk about all this stuff. the The plan right now, and mark this on your calendar, Matt, is uh, we will do a mock draft immediately after the NFL draft so uh hopefully get you back we'll get we'll bring on michael f florio we'll see who else uh we can recruit to come and do our mock draft with us because i think that will be really interesting once all these guys sort of have homes and we have a better idea of what their potential could be uh to go on and do a mock draft so that being said, let's go and round out our wide receiver chat uh, because we we had a pretty good conversation last week about some of the guys sort of in the, the, the top tier, uh, the guys that you could see go off the board in either the first round or maybe the early second round. The rest of these are guys that will kind of be sprinkled over the next couple of days of the draft, but who could have varying levels of production, especially depending on where they land. So I wanted to start with a couple of guys that you mentioned last week at the end of the show that you really had your eye on that have have caught your attention. Let's start with Rondale Moore, Uh, you know, just kind of a guy who is a, a bit of a dynamo. I mean, I remember when they had their pro day at Purdue and just watching his results sort of light up fantasy twitter and draft twitter there's all the the things he did physically uh in that pro day that really sort of opened a lot of eyes um but over the last two seasons played just seven total games when you were scouting him what what did you go back and look at did you look at those last two seasons did you even have to go back further than that to get an idea of rondell moore
2: uh, a little of all of all of the above. Honestly, I watched a couple games from from each of the last two seasons. And I think that that's always important, even if a receiver's big season was three years ago or if there's some, uh, you know, uh, off the wall issues that happened or injuries, anything like that, that maybe might or covid uh, that may have made the last couple nice. seasons questionable in a sense. I still want to watch a couple of those games just to get the context, but then I also went back and watched a few games from his 2018 freshman season when he was insane, almost 1,500 scrimmage yards and 14 touchdowns. I also think it's important to go and scout where a player was unbelievable, and if he didn't do it for the last two years and I didn't go watch some of those games from 2018, it would would be doing him a disservice. Mm -hmm. But it is also still important to note that, like, over the last couple of years we didn't see that quite as much Now he didn't play as many games so we couldn't see that the numbers rack up and mostly on tape I didn't see too much of a difference so that's always good mm-hmm. um but but you do like to be able to see a receiver continue to progress throughout their college career so it was rough having the smaller sample size with him
1: so the one of the, the comps I keep hearing about is is comparing Rondale Moore to Steve Smith and I feel like this is sort of the curse of every sort of undersized receiver that that dis- displays a lot of toughness. I mean, that's one of the things that that people like about Moore is that he really is a tough guy. Uh, he's going to go out there and fight for catches. He's going to go fight for the football and he's going to make plays. But again, he's not a big guy. Uh, I think he's listed somewhere like five, seven, five, eight, something like that. So he's not really tall. Um <sighs> Like I said, I feel like I feel like it's kind of a fallback to just compare every undersized tough receiver to Steve Smith. Does it does that work for you? Or is there there maybe a, a different sort of comparison or a different game you see from him?
2: Largely it does. Um I think it's kind of important when we when we're sort of pigeonholed, like you said, into these comps that that are very unique, that we try to give like a qualifier. So with more, I like to say he's a smaller even which is not great uh steve smith with less route running ability and less sure hands in my opinion and i feel like that kind of helps a little bit damp down the oh my goodness this guy is steve smith what are you saying but there is a lot there that, even more often than I, I will say, we we see with these short guys who get just comped to Steve Smith because they're short. There's a lot there. There's a lot of foot quickness and agility. There's a lot of explosiveness. He has a very uncanny, uh, nasty ability to attack a defensive back's hips uh, when you're when you're running at the defensive back and you give yourself a chance to separate quickly when you attack their hips because it forces their leverage and their balance off of what they would ideally like to be doing. It kind of reminds me of Steve Smith in that way. And then you mentioned the toughness. Very, very tough, over the middle, for his size, not afraid of contact. That is where you when you get the short and you get that aspect, that's where you start to make the Steve Smith comp make sense. But in my opinion, Smith was a better overall route runner and he had better hands, which made him a more complete receiver and helped make up a little bit more for his size. Plus, like I said, DJ Moore, or DJ Moore, Rondale Moore is 5'7", like you mentioned, 180. Smith was 5'9", 195. And that two inches may not sound like a lot, but Rondale Moore is going to be one of the shortest wide receivers in the NFL right now, let alone the shortest to ever have a productive career if he does it. So he might end up getting pigeonholed into a bit of a gadget role if he can't fill out his game a little bit more.
1: I should also say, I mean, saying that somebody is a lesser Steve Smith isn't really an insult considering no. Steve Smith had an excellent career. I mean, This is a guy yeah. who, who did a lot of great things over the course of his career. And I'm not just saying that because he is a co-worker of ours uh, at NFL Network. So saying that somebody is a lesser Steve Smith is not it's not trashing that player. Um, Definitely not. You know, you're, you're setting the bar pretty high there. Uh, all right. So that gets us to. I'm on Ross St. Brown, uh, and I was you know, excited to hear you say that name last week, one, because it's fun to say, two, because he's a USC guy, but also because I, I, I find he's one of those guys that, um, like we said about a lot of guys, not necessarily spectacular to any one thing, but I fo- I feel like he's very solid in a whole lot of areas. When you watched him, what stood out to you about his game?
2: Uh, a good amount of stuff, honestly, very well rounded overall. But but kind of the the attributes that stood out the most were hands. Very good, strong hands, especially snatching the ball uh, out of the air up at his head, uh, like up at and above his head in contested catch situations um, down the field. Very very good hands. Kind of reminds you of like what DeAndre Hopkins does. Maybe not quite that good, but the way who go up and just pluck the ball. I saw a lot of that with Amon Ra. Um, Excellent hand fighting ability at the line. So versus press coverage, if he's on the outside and the DB is up against him, he is going to smack that DB off and be downfield very quickly. And you really like to see that with a guy that you want to be a one on the outside or just to to play the outside receiver. Um, Also, very excellent acceleration off the line when he's not pressed. So when he's playing against off coverage, when the DB is back off the line, a lot of guys who are strong and physical against press, they can't eat up that off coverage with quick acceleration. And a lot of the guys who blaze downfield and can eat up the off coverage can't play against press because they're not physical enough. They're more of a speed guy. Amon Ra mixed those two things very well. And I know the, what I'm talking about right now is not like your typical uh receiver attributes that you might hear about and so maybe it feels like uh, okay that's a skill but (laughs) why isn't he making odell beckham catches or (laughs) why isn't his yards after the catch uh, aj brown-esque the the release off the line is really really important and your ability to beat defenders in both of those types of coverages means that you can do everything and you can be put everywhere and i think that's going to be important to his usage from an nfl standpoint which means Good for fantasy, and also a really, really strong route runner. So very well-rounded receiver. The kind of guy you could see developing into a wide receiver one, both for his NFL team and for fantasy. Wow, um,
1: that's interesting too, because I, I feel like for a lot of people, um, they, they sort of cap him at a wide receiver two, which that's not that's not terrible. Um, but I'm, I, I'm I'm very intrigued to hear you say that he has wide receiver one potential, and I feel like. How would you compliment to say Michael Pittman, his old teammate in college, they played together for a year. Another guy who I think sort of is in that mold, right, where he's a good all around receiver. He's got very good sure hands, isn't necessarily a speed burner, but has found ways to be effective off the line. Uh, Do you see are there similarities between the two of them?
2: There are. And I actually liked Michael Pittman a lot in a lot of the same exact ways in terms of what they are and what they can be. So uh, Amon Ra and Michael Pittman, I saw as like you mentioned, I see him as a wide receiver too, but with that potential for wide receiver one upside, especially in the right situation, Michael Pittman went to a great situation. I think he's got a good quarterback. I know there's a lot of controversy about saying that about the guy who's there now, but I think he's got a good quarterback. I think he's got the ability and the opportunity to be a wide receiver one on his team. I think he's going to be end up being one of the best values of that draft class because he came in maybe as more profiling as wide receiver two, but with a lot of the abilities and a lot of the well-rounded skill set where you can become a wide receiver one, I see a lot of that same thing with Amon Ra. So I like him a lot as a value pick, like in the second round of rookie drafts, and maybe even to get him in the later part of a redraft league if he goes to a good spot.
1: A lot of Eagles fans listening to this show heard you talk mm. about the quarterback in India are probably shaking their heads
2: right yep. now. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> So this doesn't apply just to Amon Ross St. Brown, but you know, a number of guys in this draft, but I'm just kind of curious because when people talk about him, uh, the things they always mention: one, his brother equanimous St. Brown. Cause again, I think it's just fun to say, uh, but he's got, he's got one brother already in the NFL. He's got another brother, Osiris, who is a wide receiver at Stanford. And on top of it, his father was a professional bodybuilder. Uh, with, I think one Mr. Universe, at least once, maybe twice. Um, When you look at guys that have sort of that athletic background, uh, whether it's parents, siblings, what have you, does that make any sort of impact? Do you look at them a little bit differently when you know that about them?
2: Um, I wouldn't say that I would look at them differently, but it's it's a piece of context that can be useful. And it really depends on the attributes that you're comparing or that you're highlighting with that family. So if it's like speed an athletic ability, just pure athletic talent. I'd see that that transfer a lot. So if you've got a family full of track stars and you've got a receiver who's fast, it's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> I expect he's probably going to be fast. And like with no combine, that that's kind of an extra nice piece of info to have. Um, if it's something like maybe route running technique or football IQ, Maybe not necessarily. I think that's a lot more about what a individual puts in Mm -hmm. and less about, you know, what is involved in their genes. But also it's useful to say, like his father, from the stories I've seen, uh, instilled a lot of competitive spirit in these guys, um, pushed them hard to succeed in, in sports. And that can be impactful as well, especially if they build up a good mindset. In their kids, so it's a small contextual piece. It's not like what do you want, Mister Universe? Put him up around, <laughs> um, but, but it's there.
1: Yeah, I know. I was, just, I was just curious about it because I do think every time you read a scouting report on on Saint Brown,
2: it, it mentions his brother, it mentions his
1: father. Uh, you know, and people and have cool. made it a part of the process, but I don't know.
2: For the record, I vastly expect Amon Roth to be better than Equinemius. So if you're looking at what happened with Equinemius and you think, oh, wait, yeah, I don't want another piece of that, <laughs> I wouldn't have that here.
1: It's interesting, too, because I was you know, talking with some friends, and and uh, you know, our, our buddy Matt Harmon made the point that, you know what, for despite the fact that he's sort of been underwhelming, uh, Equinemius has done a good job at least hanging around the Packers roster and doing just True. enough to kind of stay there. So uh, we'll see what his brother has in store wherever he lands in the draft. So speaking of uh children of former professional athletes. Amari Rogers, whose father is T Martin, who obviously played at the University of Tennessee, was in the NFL for a moment. Um, Amari had a, a good career at Clemson, was did a lot of work in the slot there though, when he was playing at Clemson. Do you see him as a guy who can move to the outside and be successful in the NFL?
2: I think probably he can and be successful to a degree, yes. But I do think that the slot would be ideal for him because he's best in the short and intermediate area by a lot. And it's a little bit easier to be involved in, in, and get open in the short and intermediate area when you're coming out of the slot. If he was more of a downfield threat, I would maybe be more interested in putting money on the outside, but I don't really see that. That being said, and I'll go back to release when you're talking about being an outside receiver. If you can release well, especially against press man coverage then I believe you can probably succeed on the outside. And he was very good at that. He has very good footwork, a lot of athletic ability and explosiveness that I saw on tape consistently. And I think that that means he can win on the outside if they put him there. That being said, he struggles on vertical routes. I saw poor technique. He looked unbalanced. He doesn't get leverage against corners easily on vertical routes. He showed some good ability like at the catch point downfield, but getting to that catch point, I saw a lot of issues. So I don't think he's ever going to be a vertical outside receiver or consistently or commonly doing that. But if he's put on the outside to run a lot of crossing routes or if he's put in the slot, I think he can win pretty well either of those ways. And I like him a lot if he goes to those kind of situations.
1: The other thing that kind of keep showing up in scouting reports, is an issue with just drops occasionally. Uh, I know when we talked, you were sort of, you know, drops can be a problem, but you, know, you don't weight it too heavily. I mean, in this situation, do you look at that as potentially a problem or is it something that can sort of be
2: overcome with work? Um, not, not for Rogers. Sometimes it will be an issue that that I'll make note of. But with him, except for a couple drops on deeper balls that look like hands issues, the other drops I saw on tape seem to be more concentration drops. And I feel like those just come and go based off a season of life that a receiver is in. Honestly, we'll see it happen in the NFL that a guy will be a drop machine one year and then the next year he won't. And what I did see consistently with Rogers was excellent, strong hands, especially in the short and intermediate area. Like I mentioned, where he succeeds, he would snag Cam Newton-esque bullets out of the air from Trevor Lawrence that I was like, whoa, I expected that ball to bounce off your hands. And he came down with it. So I really trust his hands. And I think any drop issues that came from, you know, concentration or turning upfield before you have the ball. I think that that kind of stuff will just kind of fade away or be coached out typically with a receiver. So I'm not too concerned.
1: So that that seems like a really good segue from Amari Rogers to Tylen Wallace, who seems to sort of be on the other end of the spectrum. Right. Where people sort of talk about him not necessarily being a great separator or getting away from defensive backs. But everybody talks about how great and how strong his hands are. Um, you know, I know that you know when you talk about this, there is a kind of a cocktail of things it takes to really stand out as a receiver. But knowing that maybe he's not a great separator, do you look at him and say, "Well, you know what? His strong hands can sort of make up for that. Will help him in the contested catch area."
2: Uh. So here's the thing with Tylen Wallace: his <laughs> hands alone, I don't know if they'd quite make up for it. And I will say, from from in terms of his separation. Primarily where he lacks is that foot quickness and that cutting ability in shorter routes, crosser routes. He's not going to Stefan Diggs or Keenan Allen you uh, as a DB in order to win in that in that area. But I do think he does well route running in vertical routes. And that might may sound a little bit more curious to listeners because a vertical route, you just feel like you're running straight. Not true. There's a lot of nuance to that. There's where you attack the defensive back as you're heading up field, trying to stack that defender and create leverage for yourself, head fakes and things like that to push them off balance. The way you take angles going on your vertical routes, whether it's just a streak or whether you're running a post or a corner, it really matters to where you're going to get open on that route, whether you're going to get past that defender or if you're coming back, how far you're going to throw them off. And I see a lot of ability with Tyler Wallace in those areas of his route running. So he's not Stefan Diggs, no, but he does have some skill. And then back to the original question of whether his hands just make up for that, what he does lack. Maybe not quite, but everything else that he does, in my opinion, will make up for that. His, like I just mentioned, his vertical route running technique, his hops. He has the best hops in this class, no question. He will jump over anybody, and he's not even that tall. But he will jump over anyone to make a catch, especially in the end zone. Consistent ca- contested catchability, which makes that red zone threat even greater. Oh, the circus catches we just talked about, <laughs> the the Odell Beckham stuff. Well, how come this guy doesn't play like Odell Beckham and make incredible catches and blow my mind? That stuff does apply with Tylen Wallace. He is unbelievable downfield watching his tape was some of the most fun I had this entire and probably actually was the most fun I had watching a receiver this year. He is incredible receiver at the catch point. And I think a lot of that will make up for what he lacks in the Stefan Diggs esque route running part of his game.
1: So this is, this is sort of a glass half full glass half empty sort of question here. When, when you were, when you were watching him, what was more notable to you, you know, what, what did you make more notes of the, the spectacular circus catches that you talked about, or the occasional focus drops like everybody sort of has them at some point, um, it, it is, I feel like this is more of a, are you an optimist about him, or are you a pessimist about him, which of those two ends of the spectrum you know, caught your attention more.
2: Uh, well, to answer your question very simply, I just have to say I'm an optimist about him because I love him. <laughs> in fact, in my notes, in my scouting notes, which is for, for every player I have is all, you know, scout ease, just nonsensical stuff about leverage and <laughs> release and all this stuff. My first note about Tylen Wallace is just in all caps, love him. So <laughs> so I'm an optimist about Tylen Wallace, but specifically on this issue, I think both of those things have to be taken to a degree with a grain of salt. And this is the case across, in, you know, these kinds of attributes with any receiver um, because they're outlier events. Right. you he's not dropping the ball every play. He's certainly not dropping the ball consistently in terms of half the time or even maybe a fifth of the time. Maybe it's every once in a while you see this and you wonder if it's an issue. He's also not making Odell Beckham jumping over a defensive back catches consistently all the time every play, but he does it often. And so they're outlier events. So which one fits up with what I see from him as a player overall and what I think he was going to be at the NFL level. And for me, if this was a, a 130 target slot receiver, right, who we expect to get peppered with with targets and, and he had drop issues, that would be a big concern for me. But that's not what I see Tylen Wallace doing. I see him being a, 70 catch hundred to 100, 110 target probably guy who's doing most of his work downfield, winning in the red zone, making contested catches and where I see the spectacular catch ability fit in is with that with that portion of his game where I see him being used in the NFL. And so while both are are important and impactful, both the spectacular catches and the focus drops, I think that the one that plays into and impacts his his game more is is those spectacular catches because that's what he's going to be asked to do at the nfl level whereas the drops won't matter as much to what he will be doing i think we'll see if an nfl team wants to do the same but that's what i see him doing
1: uh real quick do, do you have any special phrases or anything that you use in your your book of scout ease that you're willing to share Ooh, with us
2: special <laughs> phrases any,
1: any, uh, any Okadaisms maybe that are in that uh, in that scout book
2: Okada-isms? I would say no Okada isms mainly because especially with receivers, I had my my scouting ease coached into me ah. uh, and so everything you see is except for Tylen Wallace love him. oh okay, you know what that's not true. There are some times where I'll put some analogies that, hmm. that are definitely Okada ease um, okay. I'll, I'll try to find an example if I can maybe while you're while you're teeing up a question yeah. but but i'll I'll compare someone to someone else. OK, I, I know one. I'll go find the exact wording while you ask the next question.
1: OK, yeah, no, it's funny because I, I so my buddy texted me today and, and our group chat was like, yeah, what are some of the draft term scouting terms that you love? And like, you know, I always love stuff like, you know, uh, a guy is a heavy legged waist bender or <laughs> sand in his pants or something like that. Like all these these things that like outside of football scouting context sound bizarre and maybe a little bit obscene. Um, but, you know, when you talk to football people about them, they, they sound <laughs> they sound semi-normal, uh, and they make sense in our weird, weird world. Um, I,
2: I yeah, don't think I have any heavy-legged le- knee benders in here, but <laughs> I will say I, I found the one I was thinking of. I was mm-hmm. talking about Justin Fields, and I'll do this sometimes when I'll compare them to other players. And I said he's willing, as a runner, willing to slide, unlike some people whose names rhyme with Flever. <laughs> And I'll do that often to to sass another player in the draft, in case you're wondering who that is. That's Trevor Lawrence, who does not (laughs) lie, and it concerns me. I'll sometimes poke fun at other players uh, in my scouting notes.
1: That's funny. Uh, Yeah, Steve had a good one, too, uh, saying a guy's a butt slapper, a defensive player who doesn't Mm -hmm. make tackles but gets close enough to to slap a butt, which, uh, again— Outside of football, that, that sounds like something <laughs> that could get you arrested for assault, um, but, but within football circles, uh, it makes sense. It's a thing people talk about. Um, all right, let's talk about Nico Collins, who, you know, depending on – I feel like his, his evaluation and his ranking sort of fluctuates a lot depending on on who you're talking to or who you're reading. Um, he is one of the bigger receivers, though, in this draft. and I think we talked about it last week, but overall – This is sort of an undersized class physically. Like we don't have a lot of big body guys out there. Nico Collins is one of them. Uh, Can he be more though than just sort of a big body downfield Devin Funchess type target in the NFL?
2: To a degree, I would say he can, but not a top-end, reliable fantasy degree. I think that this will be primarily what he gets uh, stuck doing, is this kind of big-body downfield. Devin Funchess is actually uh, maybe offensive, but pretty good comp. If you're Nico Collins, you don't want to be compared to Devin Funchess. But, but you know, the strengths I saw with him are all that kind of things. He has excellent contested catchability. He adjusts the ball well Adjusts to the ball well in the air. He has very strong hands. He seems to kind of float on those jump ball uh, plays, which is something you like to see. Um, he's a long strider, so he gets downfield kind of surprisingly quick, but he's not necessarily a, a super speedy yak yards after catch receiver. Um, and he has good ball tracking and good sideline catch awareness. All things that you want to see with, a, you know, a Devin Funches or if you want to be kinder, a Mike Evans type of role But all the stuff you want to see with uh, winning over the middle, winning in the short area, PPR stud kind of guy, the ability to separate versus off coverage, um, the ability to win over the middle, to be tough over the middle, kind of like we talked about with Rondale Moore, uh, and to come down with passes that you might have some fear of making because they're tougher when when you're catching across the middle. I did not see that stuff with Nico, Nico Collins. So I do think he gets kind of pigeonholed into that contested catch down field role, the big bodied role. And I think that's probably best for him to do that. But I do think it li- limits his fantasy upside.
1: Yeah, I, I I thought immediately about Mike Evans, but I felt like Mike Evans might too be high. a little too dynamic, right?
2: Devin Front is more fair, to be with, to right, be honest. With, I mean,
1: is it better or worse if I say Kelvin Benjamin? Is that I, I don't know no, if that's, that's not good either. I was gonna say I don't know if that's better or worse if I if I went that direction with it. But yeah, I just I got the feeling that he's gonna be you know what, what I what I imagine uh, for Nico Collins is that he might end up being that guy who goes somewhere and is sort of that red zone target. Um, you know, or that end zone target that is productive enough that you sort of have to pay attention to him, but not productive enough that you feel confident, you know, drafting him or having him in your lineup. That um, in the end, he ends up sort of being that guy that, you know, more often than not, he just sort of takes opportunities away from your guy mm-hmm. that's probably on the same team uh, that you want to score touchdowns. So, I, yeah, I, I'm interested to see kind of how that goes. Um, that gets us to... I put these guys back to back a pair of guys from North Carolina and several weeks ago, when we talked about running backs, uh, we talked about their two guys in Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Well, they got a pair of wide receivers that, you know, are likely to get drafted over the next few days. The first one is Diami Brown, uh, who had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons uh, the last couple of years, really sort of a big play guy. And the one thing a lot of people have said about him is just sort of his inconsistency uh, kind of from, from week to week. Is he is he destined to kind of be a best ball guy? I know it's always like a cop-out when we say that about a player, like, oh, he's a good best ball guy. But I feel like when I I read him, the little bit I watched about him um, everything about him screamed as though he's going to be a best ball darling one of these days.
2: Yeah, I I lean into that, I would say, pretty heavily. My comp for him was a, another Brown, John Brown. And to be fair, like when John Brown's gotten uh, maybe one year, one or two years, gotten a heavy target load, he's been a little bit more than a best ball darling. I think he's kind of squeaked into that wide receiver two, three, uh, flex-ish, flex-ish, flexish, that's hard to say, sort of role. That could be the the upper end for Deami Brown, but I think most uh, most likely, yes, he will be more of a best ball darling, more of a deep ball uh, speed guy because that's just how he wins. He's got a ton of burst and speed, elite ball tracking ability downfield, which is why he's so good on those deep balls. Most of the time that he wins, it's it's uh, when it's not a nine route, when it's not just shrieking down the field, it's a comeback route where he's running as if he's streaking down the field and then he's coming back. All the other stuff that you like to see in the route tree from receiver, the the crossing routes, the digs, the ins, the outs. um, I didn't really see much of that. I didn't really see him win much in those routes uh, for Deami Brown. And he plays small, which he is smallish, but he plays smaller, I think, than he even is, and he doesn't have the surest hands either. So a lot of those skills that, that I just said he doesn't have are what we want to see with PPR studs, with guys who are you know, getting into the upper wide receiver two tier, who win with route running in hands and having a, a full route tree, I did not see a lot of that with De'Ami Brown. So I think he could be very good at the best ball darling John Brown role. And John Brown, you want to draft in your redraft leagues. So he, you know he's still valuable, even if he's a best ball darling. That could be what we see with De'Ami Brown too. But I don't think he's a guy who's ever going to be a, a high-end wide receiver two necessarily.
1: So then his teammate, Daz Newsome, uh, you know, didn't necessarily have the same kind of numbers last year. Two years ago when he was a junior, did have a thousand yard season, uh, 10 receiving touchdowns that year. And one, uh, Diami and Daz sounds like, you know, actually kind of a cool band name, to be honest. (laughs) Um, but, But watching him, you know, I know that he did a lot of work sort of as a punt and kick returner when he was there. And that was a lot of his value to that team. But also sort of watching him and maybe this applies to Brown as well. How much do you think these guys were sort of stifled by the fact that the Tar Heels had a really good running game? I mean, you could turn around and hand the ball to Williams or Carter, and your offense would flow pretty well from there. Do you feel like that had an impact on these guys in terms of their targets, their production, just knowing that, that they had to share a lot of time with two good running backs there?
2: I do, but not on these guys, plural. And here's why. De'Ami Brown's skill set and the way that he wins, I think, has actually improved and highlighted by a good run game when you're a downfield receiver and the defense is forced to come up because of the run game you have that's going to help you usually and so that's why we see a lot of NFL teams that have good run games how, also have great play action games and deep threats it kind of works hand in hand to a degree Daz Newsom, on the other hand everything I talked about Deami Brown not having that makes you that good shorter area PPR guy Daz Newsome has But he's the kind of guy who's going to thrive on a team where the run game is the short pass game, right? We see this in the NFL a good amount. Um, And that was not North Carolina because they had two great running backs. So I do think that it stifled Daz Newsome a little bit and a lot more than it stifled Deami Brown. But I really like Daz Newsome because of that skill set. If he goes to a place, uh, an NFL team, where that is the case, where they are more of a run-through-the-pass kind of team like we make like for example we've seen with the detroit lions for a long time um the opposite of the ravens if daz newson went to the ravens just scratch it off uh, i'm not even <laughs> drafting him but if he goes somewhere where he has ppr upside because they're going to pepper their short area receivers with targets i really like him he's a great separator in the short and inter- intermediate area like i said he's an he has excellent yards after catch ability with nasty juke and a lot of agility a lot of quick speed He's very strong and unafraid at the catch point over the middle, which I've mentioned lacking with some other guys recently, and that really takes away from your ability to be that uh, slot receiver or short area receiver who is getting a lot of that PPR work. He's the guy that I could see being a third down star in the NFL level, and he does have a large route tree as well, so I think he can do everything. In fact, I'm pretty sure I have Deami Brown raked the spot above Daz Newsome in my rookie rankings right now. Mm-hmm. And after doing this podcast, I think I might have to switch them. <laughs> <laughs> I do really like Daz Newsome as a well-rounded player. I think both of these guys, their landing spot will be important. And Daz maybe more because if he goes to one of those places where we say they don't have a strong run game, but they've got a good short area quarterback. And I think they're gonna maybe the, the Daz has a chance to maybe be a hundred and twenty target guy down the line mm-hmm. because of that. Even if it's you know Four yards downfield that he's getting targeted consistently, he could be very, very productive.
1: i I, I enjoy watching Daz Newsom. I did get to watch him a little bit uh, when i when I wasn't being distracted by Javante Williams taking the football and running down the field with it. Um, but i I did think that he can go somewhere and sort of be. A little bit of a Swiss army knife for somebody, you know, I mean, obviously he has these skills as a punt and kick returner, which I know that doesn't get you fantasy points, but it is, I think, sort of crucial for guys. I think guys, especially drafted later to be able to get on the field and to make an impact, um, you know, you see it all the time, you know, you watch hard knocks and you, you hear about, you know, the more you can do, the more things you can do, if you can play special teams, you uh, teams will find a spot for you and they will find a way to get you on the field. So I think that could potentially help. But again, all the things you mentioned, uh, his, his ability in these short areas uh, to be successful and to win there could really make him kind of an interesting interesting prospect somewhere down the line. And uh, it was nice to hear you say you kind of talked yourself through uh, you know, a rankings change. So uh, it happens, people. Everybody changes their mind.
2: Oh, yeah. It'll probably happen again before the draft <laughs> in two days and then it'll happen a ton after Could've
1: that. it happen a lot after that, exactly. Yep. Um, All right, so last name that I got here is Seth Williams from Auburn and another sort of bigger-bodied receiver, about 6'3", looks like 210, 211, uh, somewhere around there. Never had uh, any huge seasons when he was at Auburn. I think some of that might have had to do with just the pieces sort of around him there. For you when you watched him, what things did you take away uh, from his game?
2: Primarily that he can be a red zone star. Mm -hmm. That is where he'll win, certainly. And hopefully it's a, a little bit more than the Nico Collins version that we just talked about where that's pretty much all he can do. And I do have him ranked slightly higher than Nico Collins right now. But the the elite hands to pluck the ball away from his body on contested catches, on jump balls, contorting his body to make those catches downfield, coming down with big plays, especially in the end zone. That was Seth Williams to me. That's what I saw on tape. Very good high pointing ability, which is the ability to time your jump to get the ball at the second that it gets to your location, where if you can do that better than the DB, you're usually going to come down with the ball. That's how DeAndre Hopkins made that famous Hale Murray catch this last season. He high pointed that ball better than the four defenders that were around him, and that's how he came down with it. Um, Seth Williams also has a very large catch radius and he's big like you mentioned six three two eleven i mean i should say he's big for this class because to eleven right. it's decent but it's not necessarily big big uh but for this class that's huge because this is a very small class so a team if an nfl nfl team is looking for a red zone threat kind of more of a downfield guy i think seth williams could definitely fit that mold is he going to be a wide receiver one or even a wide receiver two for fantasy probably not but could he be a seven or eight touchdown guy some years with 800 yards? Maybe. So I think he's he's decent.
1: Um. Any other names? Because we've, we've gone through, you know, it's and I think we had, you know, eight, seven, eight names last week. We got another eight names here this week. A- anybody else out there, though, for for those dynasty folks or the Debbie folks or anybody just looking to get an edge uh, that you are that you are sort of tracking? Maybe kind of, you know, guys who might be third day guys who are worth knowing.
2: Yeah, I've got I've got a few for you actually. Um I'll, I'll just hit on them real quick and kind of what what they are or what you can look for with them. Sage Surratt out of Wake Forest. He's kind of Des Bryantish. That's what I consistently thought uh, found myself thinking watching him on tape. He's 6'3 215, so another one of these big guys, or bigger guys. Um maybe the guy's team the guy that teams will go for if they need that big boy red zone threat on day three or four. Like we just mentioned, even with Seth Williams, he he's another guy that could fit that role and I actually have him ranked higher than Seth Williams. So in fact, I think of these three guys we've talked about Nico Collins, Seth Williams, and Sage Surratt, I have Surratt the highest. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, so he's my favorite of these specifically red zoning, big body guys that aren't in my top like 12 rookie wide receivers. Um, and then Tamori and Terry out of Florida state, Really good size, speed combo, six four two ten. So apparently, all the big guys aren't good anymore because <laughs> they're all falling down here. But but he has, uh, rather than just being that um, red zone threat, the jump ball guy, he has a lot of explosiveness um, and speed that I think could make him a little bit more than some of those guys we just talked about. Uh, in fact, he his physicality kind of I saw him struggling in contested catch, jump ball situations that might make him less desirable as a red zone threat. So, he's a bigger guy that if you want a size speed combo, maybe you're looking at Tamori and Terry as an NFL team. For fantasy, you just want to know if he can score points. I think he can. Um, I like him a decent bit. And then the last one I'll throw out is Shy Smith um, out of South Carolina. And he's kind of in the same range as these last few guys we've talked about for me and my rankings, but very different from from the guys we just talked about. He is a route runner, excellent route runner extremely quick, snappy in his routes, more of that Stefan Diggs, Keenan Allen type of receiver and has superb hands. So I think he could be a great short area receiver, that third down kind of role again, maybe a slot guy. Look to see where he goes in the and if he goes to an NFL team that needs a slot receiver, I think he can actually contribute pretty early and pretty well um very different from some of the guys we've just named but very useful for the nfl as well so those are kind of the last few I would name there's a, a couple others but we're getting into dark territory at that point
1: <laughs> i was wondering if you're going to mention wap failure just because his name is fun to, again another fun name to say <laughs> yep. uh you know i i don't know necessarily that what his prospects are going to be but you know a guy who got his nickname because he loved burger king whoppers uh it's at least a fun story to tell if nothing else um all right that was hefty. Like we, we, I feel like we did work in a month. Um, I, dude, I appreciate all your help, all your insight on this. It was a lot of fun. Uh, for the next few days, for draft days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, any any big plans? Any any content that, uh, that you might want to share with folks that you'll you'll be putting out?
2: Uh, yeah, actually, if you want the most instant possible fantasy reactions to draft picks, I would recommend following me on Twitter at Matt Okada. I am going to be doing roughly a 90 second video reaction to every fantasy relevant pick as soon as it happens during the draft. So the second Trevor Lawrence goes, I will be recording and uploading a 90 second video on what does it mean? He's going to the Jaguars. What does that mean for his fantasy upside? A brief rundown of who he is as a prospect should be 60 to 90 seconds on all these guys. And I think I'm going to go all the way through day three, no, day, day two. We'll see. But round three for sure, um, and then I'll, I'll maybe do some, like, compiled ones on the lower guys. But if you want to get the quick fantasy reacts, that's what I'm going to be doing during the draft. I've already told uh, anyone who would want to hang out with me on those nights typically, sorry, I'm out, <laughs> I am taken by the draft. Uh, that's what I'll be doing the whole time.
1: Uh, well, you guys should be following Matt anyway, at Matt Okada on Twitter. If you aren't already, go on and do that. Um, I would say for you, I mean, you might as well just record your Trevor Lawrence one now if you haven't that's already. True. Just just yep. record it now so that the moment they announce his name, you can just blast that one out there and get it ready to go. Um, you know, so you don't have to like you know scramble and do anything in the moment. That one that one, your homework, I feel like is done for you already. <laughs> yes <laughs> so. probably will. Um, so you know, as for us, uh, we are also doing fantasy uh, relevant content around the draft. Of course, you can see all of our stuff on YouTube at youtube.com/slash NFL Fantasy Football. Uh, but this show, the NFL Fantasy Football show, will be doing some streaming efforts uh, each day after the draft. So we'll have one on Friday recapping the first night. We'll have one on Saturday uh, that is recapping the second day, and then we will do one on Monday that recaps sort of the draft as a whole. Couple of uh, three half-hour shows. Myself and Adam Rank will be doing that as well. So you can find them streaming uh, at NFL.com in the Fantasy app. And of course, if you don't see them live, uh, they will be archived as well. So you can get your your recap fix of that. Uh, so we have plenty to talk about. And then, as I mentioned, uh, hopefully we'll get together and do a mock draft uh, once it's all done so that hopefully will be next week's show for you to look forward to so matt uh thank you so much dude for all your help it was uh it was great having you here this is not going to be the last time we get you on here but dude i appreciate all the work you put in the last month or so
2: yeah thanks for having me on i uh, i enjoy talking about fantasy rookies way too much so (laughs) this was all a blast for me
1: Dude, appreciate it. Absolutely. And the means I for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, if someone asks you which three items you'll take to a desert island, one of them should be a boat. Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we will see you next week. Enjoy the draft, everybody. <laughs>